can we stand on them? One is uh, supposed to be an involved dad um, that we've talked about the last two weeks, and the other one is a nurturing mom. But sometimes in that in 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 those legs, uh, there's or if there's a stool, if you if you would, there become some cracks in those. He would make it sensitive and um, and reveal to each of us, including me, as I work through this, um, where where we are in this situation. So hang on, and uh, and and we're going to go. Page 24 in your book, uh, note taking guide. There is where we are, and it's the overly bonded bonded with mother. Uh, most men who enter life with a strong sense of themselves and emotional security, a strong character and clear direction. Most men that enter life that way, um, they do so and they look like they're standing on two legs, just like most of us here have two legs and we stand on them. One is uh, supposed to be an involved dad um, that we've talked about the last two weeks, and the other one is a nurturing mom. But sometimes in that in 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 those legs, uh, there's or if there's a stool, if you if you would, there become some cracks in those legs, and it, and it it doesn't stand quite right. I don't know if you ever sit down at a table at a restaurant and you sit down and you put your coffee or whatever, and the table wiggles. You know what I'm talking about? That is such a pain. I hate that. So what do you do? You get sweet and lows and things that were never made to be stable pay, table stabilizers, and you use them to bring stability to that. And so the same thing happens with us as men. Um, there's cracks and they weaken until we almost stand not even um, catty, kind of catty-cornered or whatever, whatever the word is, um, one leg shorter, but sometimes even like one's amputated. And that's how we live and we walk and we move and we relate, uh, more importantly, later on in life um, with others, with women, with our wives um, in this weakened and broken state. Um, and that's... Um, that, that's, that's how we relate um, sometimes. Um, and it's hard and, it, and it's a struggle. And so we've, we've looked at this, this pillar of manhood, um, fatherhood, the last two weeks. So we're going to look at the other pillar, this other leg today of, of the mom. Um, just know I'm not picking on your mother, okay? You know, and uh, if you've seen uh, Facing the Giants, my kids quote this, this. They love this scene where they're talking about yo mama. They're talking about yo mama could throw, could, could kick it. They're talking about a field goal, could kick broad, could kick will go wider than that and so we're not please don't go personal um that we're picking on mom today at all but we're but we are taking kind of a sober and intentional look at what that means um and and how she could end up um as part of the wound in a, in a man's life the mom factor uh, it's a book by dr henry cloud and john townsend they he writes they write these words in the book other than dad sorry no one has influenced more the person you are today than your mother the way she has handled your needs as a child has shaped your worldview, your relationships, your marriage, your career, your self-image, your life. What we learn in our relationship with our mother deeply affects every area of our adult life now. Think about that. Every area of our adult life now. And I think there's a lot of truth with that. I, I um, was able to um, go spend a month last fall, a year ago, on a sabbatical, and I got to spend a week with these guys, with, with Cloud and Townsend. And um, they're they're great guys. They have some great um, books. They do conferences and speak. But um, this is one thing we didn't talk about when I was there. But um, but it's a great book, The Mom Factor. But what mom did deeply affects what we do now. And we know it to be true. Mom goes deep into the male psyche. Um, you know, uh, the, the the planes. Sometimes it's amazing. These planes, huge airplanes, that'll crash, and they can't find. They can't put any big piece back together. But they can always find that little black box. It's amazing how they can, they can find the little black box in the ocean or wherever it is in the, the deep woods of forests or the mountains. 
And uh, recently there was a, there was a story of, uh, of one that crashed. They found a little black box, and the last thing that was said was the pilot calling out for his mom. He said, Mom, and how at the deep core of who we are, our primal instinct is to call back to our mom. She has a powerful influence uh, over our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes the influence that mom has um, leaves a wound. And Kevin uh, is an example of this. And let me read you an illustration from the life of Kevin. Kevin loved his wife. He adored her, but he was not strong enough in his own right to say no to her. The chief area that he experienced this was in his own need for time with a hobby or with friends. Cave time, basically. When he wanted space in which to pursue a hobby or to be with friends, she wanted him home. He could not stand up for his own separateness. He would comply, then resent her, then his feelings of love for her would begin to disappear. This pattern continued until finally his resentment built up to the point that he actually left her. He complained that he felt smothered and controlled. What he could not see, what he could, could not see, what he could not see was that it was his own fault. Kevin had never established boundaries with his mother. A strong-willed woman, she was content to be in control of him, and he had never left her. So instead of leaving mom and cleaving to his wife, he turned his wife into mom and left her instead. This is one of the most common divorce scenarios that occur in men's lives. Men see the controlling women as, a, as the problem, but they fail to deal with their own flimsy boundaries. If they had established good boundaries with their mothers, they would not fear being controlled by their wives or their girlfriends. Stop controlling me would turn into, no, I don't want to. Now I'm thinking, okay, wait, let me say that to Paige. No, I don't want to. I don't know if it's that easy, but men often see their wives and girlfriends as the controlling mothers and they're, uh, that they're not strong enough to deal with, and so they leave. I'll tell you uh, the story of Kevin because I want you to see the, to see the point here. Much of what Kevin was dealing with in his marriage, and remember this, was just unfinished business. It was things prior in his life and relationships. It's that, that suitcase that was up here. It's the baggage, and it's taking another thing out, and it's unfinished unfinished business. We all have that, and not just with with women, but with in relationships in general. Relationships are messy, and, and um, they're messy because of history and who we are and the things in, uh, in our lives. We're still walking around, if you will, with mom's apron strings. Um, we're, we've got this on, and we're just, they're just pulling us, and they're, they're tied, and we're tied to mom like we're not supposed to be. And um, those are supposed to be, supposed to be cut, um, cut long ago, um, but we don't always do that. And so the suitcase he carries, he pulls the apron out and acts um, in that relationship with mom. Does that make sense, hearing that, hearing that at all? Um, this is what we call the mom factor, the mom factor, and it's prevalent in men's lives, uh, believe it or not. A healthy relationship with mom requires two breaks, and this is in, this is in, in, in your book there. The first one is from physical bondedness. Most of you know about that one because we've all experienced it. Okay? When you're born, um, you're attached to your mom. Uh, through this little cord called an umbilical cord, right? And I have three boys, and they, uh, the first one uh, was Chambers was born by C-section, so I didn't get to do this. But the other two, when they were born, I got to cut the cord physically. <laughs> you cut the cord, and it's a, it's a physical. Uh, sorry, Rustin. Uh, that's good for taco breakfast, isn't it? Um, uh, sorry. Um, but I got to physically do that. That that physical uh, uh, severance if you will, that, uh, that takes place. Um, and uh, it, it, it's, it's in a pretty amazing, amazing experience. And so um, after it uh, is cut, a transformation takes place, and my son goes from being one with mom to being totally separated from mom in a different way. Does that make sense? 
Um, and uh, and so we, uh, we 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 tend to do that. In fact, moms they they spend nine months. Mothers do their bodies, the baby developing in them, and they're one with this child. Um, and then this, then all of a sudden, this uh, this break happens in the relationship forever that it'll never be the same, and they go through something called postpartum blues. Ever heard of that? Some of you are like, "Yep, I've experienced it in my home." Um, and postpartum literally means after the parting blues because the relationships changed, and so now every most every woman eventually gets over this transition from oneness to separateness. Separateness. Some of them don't, uh, but some do. So. Physical separation is the first one. The second one is a lot of moms don't make and they never get over, um, and it's far more important than this physical umbilical cord. Um, it occurs when a son is seeking to go from being a mama's boy to being a man in his own right. Now, I don't think anybody in here wants to be called a mama's boy. Um, I don't, and I don't want my kids to be mama's boys either. Um, and so we're, we're working hard at this um, even now. But it is the cut called emotional bondedness. It's the cut called emotional bondage. It's extremely important for mom to willingly give up or lose her emotional hold over your life and my life um, as sons. Um, the amazing thing is, is sometimes, even after mom is dead, there's still this emotional bond that, that has never been severed or, uh, or taken place. So a lot of cultures recognize this. It's interesting. Um, in Africa, there's a, there's a tribe, and they, they set a time in a child's life, and what they do, the mom doesn't know when it's going to be, but all the men get together, and they go in the middle of the night, and the, the warriors come in, they're dressed in paint and headdress, the whole garb, and they come and they get the son, and they're beating the drums, and they run out with the son. And the mom, the, the little boy's going, Mama, Mama, and the lady's crying. She says, My son, my son. And, and they take this child, and they, it, it's a physical separateness that they create, and he never goes back to live with his mom. He goes to live with the men of the tribe for, for the rest of his life. So the relationship totally changes. Um, and, and the mom knows it's coming, but he's to relate to the community of men, and he's crossed over, and she realizes that. Um, that would require a lot from Mama. And the question is, where in America do we have anything? No, I'm not suggesting that, but a clear place. Sometimes, though, I want somebody to come take our kids in the middle of the night. For such emotional separation. <laughs> oh, this is being recorded. Don't, don't say that. Um, that'll have to give a father wound, and then we'll be back to where we were last week. Um, but where in America do we have a, such a clear place for this separation uh, and this break to take place? And the answer is, is we don't. We, we in Western thought are, have confused things in so much. There's no clear place of separation along the road of life, and that is why, gentlemen, many men are still emotionally bonded with mom in one way or another. So we're going to explore some of those different ways um, of bonding um, in the next few minutes. And some of them are deeply entrenched. And again, um, it's not just college kids, but it's people in their 50s and 30s, 40s, and 50s that still deal with this that don't have any idea what it is and how it plays out in their lives. Here's another uh, quote from Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend in summary. They say, To understand what is going on with men in the relational world, we must first look at some developmental patterns in their childhood. In the beginning, the young male is connected to mom. If things go well with the attaching mom, he learns to feel comfortable with his dependency on her. Bonding, needing, and connecting are comfortable, and he enjoys being close. And you need those things. You need those, those, those bonds. And some of, the, some of the baggage we carry is because we never, we never did bond with our mom. He's one with mom, but then he begins to separate from her in the second and third year of life and moves out of oneness into a separate identity. It's important that he not only become a separate person, but that he becomes secure in his gender identity. Huge. 
Later, as he moved away from mom and towards dad for identification with male identity, he accomplished two things. First, he becomes a separate person, attaching to his father and gaining more autonomy from the oneness with mom. And the second thing, in his attachment to his father and identification with him as a male, he gains his gender identity. From this strong base, he becomes someone who is comfortable with connection and dependence on someone, but separate enough to be autonomous as an individual away from his object of dependency. This is a long quote. He also becomes secure in his male identity. In short, he can love mom and be independent from her all at the same time. And then later, he finds a woman to whom he can have a significant attachment, and he marries. And with all this secure identity, he is strong and separate with his new love when it comes to boundaries and limits. And he stays free from her control, meaning his mom and his wife. And yet he's comfortable with both his and her perfections. And now he sees her as a person he can relate intimately with. And in this way, he's come full circle. He has successfully returned to the woman, but as an individual in his own right. That doesn't happen if the initial break, those two, emotional and the physical um, break, don't, don't happen. So real health for man goes this way. There's a little diagram in your book, and we'll put it up here on the slide. And this is what it is. From oneness, you, 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 you can fill it in. From oneness with mom, literally, you move to a healthy physical separation, to a healthy emotional separation, to finally a healthy oneness with a woman relationally called his wife. So from oneness with mom literally to a healthy physical separation to a healthy emotional separation to finally a healthy oneness with a woman relationally called his wife. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 is a perfect picture of this. God's word obviously is, is perfect and true and, uh, and speaks to this and sets it up. So it's for this cause, and that's speaking of marriage... Um, and ultimately moving into an intimate relationship with a woman. For this cause, a man shall leave. And by the way, the word uh, leave in Hebrew means to cut um, or to sever. It's speaking of this cutting just like cutting the umbilical cord that I talked about a while ago. Um, Shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave in a healthy way, which means stick like glue, to his wife, and they are able to become one flesh. Um, probably every wedding you've been to, hopefully every wedding, every wedding I do, this is a scripture that's, that's talked about, and what does it mean? And that's exactly what it means. It's leave and cleave. It's not just leave, and it's not cleave, but hang on. It's leave and cleave to, uh, to be where you're supposed to be as one flesh. And the reason they're able to become one flesh is because his ties are not back to his family, um, and in particular, he's still not connected, overly connected emotionally with his mom. And that's how he can successfully relate to his wife. So that's all we need to do to go have perfect marriages, okay? That's it. Just kidding. Um, You can laugh. It's okay. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. I know. Help me here. Um, So that's the way it should be, but often and most times it's not, and so that's why we're where we are. And um, So let me give you a definition of the mother wound, and that's in there as well. It's an unhealthy emotional relationship with mother. An, un- an unhealthy emotional relationship with mother that causes a son to either be threatened by the influence of women later on in his life or to over-identify and become submissive to that influence. It's an unhealthy emotional relationship with mother that causes a son to either be threatened by the influence of women later on in his life or to identify and become submissive to that influence. 
a lot of this stuff we've talked about, people, men in particular, we kind of stay away from it. It's touchy-feely. It's kind of psychobabble. Um, and so then we then we start talking. And you start it around your tables, and you kind of start unpacking some stuff. And you go, man, this I'm I'm really there is something there, and I'm not the only one. So this is the case, I think, too, with with the whole overly bonded with mother wound. Is you look at it and you go, I'm okay, I'm okay with my mom. Um, there's there's nothing there. But but as you talk today, um, and we we work through this, and even next week, um, that could change. And so be open to that and say, uh, you know, Lord, what is it that you want you want to show me in this? Because there's a lot of people in this room right now that can identify with where we're going. Um, maybe last week and this week and all the weeks before. But it's an unhealthy emotional bondness in some ways that later on in adult life causes you to respond differently and have different responses to women. And you're going to relate to women whether it's your wife, in the workplace, family, uh, your mom for, for the rest of your life. That's how God created us. And uh, thank goodness that he did that. So here's some important characteristics about the mother wound. The first one is the wound is not blatant. It's subtle, which makes it harder. Okay? The, the, the father wound is kind of a nasty gash. And this one is more like a paper cut, okay? It's, uh, it's more subtle. Uh, you, the father wound's a nasty gash, kind of. It's there, and it lays open, and it bleeds. A paper cut stings. Maybe it doesn't bleed at first. Um, and then you look down, and there's blood on you. You go, where did, where did I get that? And if they're not taken care of, they can get really nasty infe- infection. We had a staff member here whose husband got a paper cut, and he ended up in the hospital for almost a week. Um, and really, really bad, and you got staph infection and all kinds of stuff over a simple little paper cut. And so both of them, over time, bleed, and they affect you, and they've got to they've got to be dealt with one way or another. So either so either way, um, that that's what it is. Secondly, the mother wound is not one of abuse. Again, it's more subtle, and so it's not as overt, uh, overt, and so it's not one of abuse. It's not a, about a mom being bad. Um, it's not one of neglect or even absenteeism. It's a wound disguised as love and caring. And so it's, it's, uh, it's not a thing that, the, that most women and moms know they're even doing, but it's part of, it's almost kind of a good thing gone bad with the whole nurturing thing, the way God's created them. And it's to the extent of, in the, in the disguise of love and caring. That's part of the reason it's hard to deal with because it looks so nurturing and so caring and so loving. And then as we get older with men, um, it's that allegiance we have and loyalty to, to our mom so many times it's hard to break because she's loved me, she's cared for me, she's nurtured me and taken care of me. Um, and so how else am I supposed to relate? But, um, but, but it, it, that's what it looks like. It's kind of like the Trojan horse in Greek mythology. You know, they're taking over the city of Troy. They can't get in, so they build the big wooden horse, and they all get in there, and uh, they, they roll the horse in and say, oh, it's a gift. And then at night, what do they do? They come out of the horse, and they kill Troy and, and demolish it. I mean, that, that's, that's similar to, uh, to what happens. It looks like love, but over a, a period of time, it feels like control. And who in here um, wants to feel controlled? Anybody? I don't. I hate it. That's one of my issues, but we'll, we'll talk about that another week maybe or a counseling session or something. So um, thirdly, this is not a wound of intention um, like it is with the absent father wound. Okay? It's not a wound of inattention. It's a wound of over-attention. It's over-involvement and over-identification with a mom. It's interesting watching, um, since I have three kids, Chambers, my oldest, he's in sixth grade, so he's a teenager now. He stinks, and he's um, into girls and all that kind of stuff. Last year, girls were gross. This year, all of a sudden, they're, they're wonderful. Um, and uh, then Harrison, my middle son, he's in nine, and he's in third grade. 
he's always liked girls. And then Preston, uh, he's from another planet, our youngest. He, um, he's a, a wild man, and he's six. Um, but it's interesting just watching them through the years, bringing them to school, watching other parents of moms, how they interact with their kids. And they're still kids who their kids are chambers age, and they still talk to them in baby talk. It's, over, it's that over-attention and not letting them, um, not letting them, them, uh, them grow up. It's a wound that's also powerful that's in adulthood. It can wrongly shape or warp the masculine, masculine psyche. Um, this is where, again, it looks like control. I married two guys. I didn't marry them, but I did the ceremony a couple uh, uh, in the last six months, three months. And um, both of them, this is exactly where they were. It was amazing. And they were a week apart. And so when I do a wedding, I'll sit down with a couple in my office and we go through and talk and this kind of stuff. And I ask them all their family history. And it gets uncomfortable sometimes. They're like, we just want you to say, do you, do you, we do, and kiss the bride and so we can get married. And um, so we, we go through this, and it was amazing. Both of them had almost the exact same story of, um, of, a, of uh, a broken family. The dad left. They both were the only sons, and, uh, and the mom just controlled them to that day. And one of them was close to 50. It was a second marriage, and his mom still was control- It was the issue in their engagement of the relationship was the mom. The other one was a younger couple, and I went to the, do the wedding, and um, the, the, the mom had barely even spoken in the, in the dating and the engagement uh, to the, uh, the bride in all that time. And so the morning I got there, I said, um, how's it been with, with um, uh, Pete's mom? Pete's not his name. Um, and she said, well, she won't put on her flower, and she hadn't spoken to me yet. And this is at the wedding before it's starting. She never said, you look beautiful. I'm so glad to be here. Can't, nothing. And so then she's got this relationship, so, so it made the relationship tense with both those women with their potential husbands because of their mom. See it? It's, it's, it's a huge. And so these men have never, have never um, dealt with that. Great guys. I go, man, I wish that I was half as cool as them. They're great guys, love the Lord, love these women, but they've never, uh, never dealt with that the attention to the, to the wound. Now, sometimes we just sit back and kind of laugh at that. There's a cartoon that I'm going to put up here, and you can barely see it, but it's of a guy and his mom, and they're at a counseling, they're at a psychiatrist, and they're both laying on the couch together. And the psychiatrist says, next session, next session Mrs. Bentlow, I'd like, your son, I'd like your son to solo. Basically, she's answering all the questions for him. Know anybody like that? You ask, somebody asks you a question, the mom answers everything for him. Um, and uh, we, we laugh at that, and we kind of go, yeah, I can kind of relate to that maybe. Um, but there he is. He knows he's got problems. He comes to the psychiatrist, but the mom's going with him, and she's still the one speaking for him. Um, now let's just ask the question, how does the wound occur? Let's get to, get to that. Um, and I want to give you two general reasons. The first one is it can begin with an absent or distant father. Okay, back to the father. He's tied into everything. It could be an absent or a distant father. It doesn't mean that dad's not at home. He may be at home. He may be in the home a lot. He's just not involved in the home, and so mom tends to move in um, and fill in the void in some ways. Um, we have kids all over, uh, all over Houston area this morning. They're getting ready. They're getting on a bus, and this is where they live. Their mom's getting them up. They're getting ready for school. Their mom's helped them do their homework. Their mom's done everything, and she sent them off to school, and the dad is there, but, but he's uninvolved. Um, dad's making the money, but mom's filling the void because dad's absent in one way or another. And it's not an intentional. It could be he's just, he travels. It could be that he's, he's working really hard like we all do um, so we can have the good life, which when we finally get the good life, our family's gone sometimes. Um, 
Modern society has given over young men to the world of women. Most teachers are women now. Very few principals, administrators are men. Um, Sunday school teachers with children tend to be women. Um, we live in that world where we put our boys with women all the time, and then we wonder and go, what, what, what's the deal? So we have to figure out our masculinity and abstentia uh, or without men. Interestingly, there's a new phenomenon about the last 20 years where more and more sons are finishing college. We've got some of you young guys in here, and they go home and they move back in with mom and dad. And so dad's thinking, go get a real job in your own place in a real life. And mom's going, oh, come back in. Let me cook for you. Let me wash for you. Let me take care of you. And, and it is. There's an amazing amount of people who go back home, whether it's they can't find the job or the vocation they're in, or they're going to go back to school or whatever, but they put themselves back in that nurturing experience, even, again, 25 to 30, um, and they never make that break. My, my in-laws own, some, uh, own a place in New Ulm, Texas, which is about an hour from here out in the country, and they own uh, two houses on a, on a block, and there's, there's another house that they've right behind it of this little lady they've known for um, 15 years, and she decides she's going to sell her house where her son has lived there with her, and he doesn't do anything. He just lives there. And so she decides she's going to sell it. And so her son's 50. He doesn't work. And so she still hasn't told him that she has sold the house to my in-laws. And um, he came out with a chainsaw a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, when are they going to tell him? And she goes, well, I'm just going to let them know when they come, basically come move the house because they're going to they're gonna sell the house and they're going to you know get somebody to come load it up and move it off. And then he's going to figure out, I guess, that it's sold. But little markers are out there. And here's a guy that's overly bonded with his mom, will not get out of the house. She won't even tell him to get out of the house. She sold the house and already bought a new place, and he knows no idea of it. Um, I'm glad my, my father-in-law is big and he has guns, so I think it will work out okay. Um, sociologist Miriam Levy, um, he's written several things on this. Um, about the overabundance of female mentors, and he says it is a, his, a historical peculiarity unlike anything we've ever seen, and the product of this thing of men moving back home um, is what is called the feminized man. And I think the, the word's up there, the feminized man. And I want you to look at that term for just a second. What, what does it mean? I don't want you to confuse it with the effeminate man um, who has feminine physical characteristics or mannerisms that's not what we're talking about. The feminist, feminized man can be the toughest, roughest guy you've ever been around on the outside. Okay, it, It's an outside thing. It's a posing thing. But he can still be feminized. A feminized man is a man who has learned to act or think in ways that are more appropriate for women. He's frequently, get this, passive. He waits. He doesn't initiate. He doesn't lead. He follows. He doesn't take risks. He lets somebody else assert themselves in the moment, but he's physically strong and tough-looking, but he defers with a lot of young men in his generation to women. Let the women be the warriors, the risk-takers, and the leaders. The roles are reversed, and our culture is pumping out dogma that reverses the roles while it claims to be making them equal. Larry Crabb, he, he talks about how, how men were made to, uh, were created from movement toward women, and women were created to receive that movement and so what we've done is confused that, and the men have waited to receive the movement and waited the, made the women to be risk-takers and to be leaders, and we've become passive in that way. But we look great. We have tough exteriors. We work out. We do all the things we're supposed to to look masculine. But in leading our wives or women in relationships, we don't do it. We're, we're passive, passive on it. Um, a second cause of a feminized man is inflicted um, by one of four types of moms. 
And it can happen with a dad in the home um, or away from the home, either one. And the most common type of those four types, we're going to go through all four, is the ignorant man. I claim that sometimes. I'm just an idiot. I'm just ignorant. And that's not what it means here. It says, now when I say ignorant, I don't mean ignorant and intelligent. Um, your, your mom can be a brilliant, brilliant lady. Uh, but ignorant in the sense she doesn't understand the power she has over a man's life, over her son's life, um, over her husband's life later on. And so today with the idea of manhood being so vague um, and little is done to know how that interacts um, in the community of men, she by default, and it's by default, it's ignorance, if you will, continues to interact with her son in ways that she always has. Mom with her little boy. She's still talking to her little boy. Um, Sometimes, um, Paige, every once in a while, she'll, she'll still talk to our boys in this little boy voice. And um, it bugs me sometimes. Scratch that off the, that thing, the, the recording thing. Because I don't want them to, to relate to her in that way for the rest of their life. As a teenager, I don't want, I don't want her talking baby talk to you know, my kids at their prom or whatever. So that wouldn't be good. Um, she stays oblivious to the need her son has to dis- disconnect emotionally. I was talking to a guy this week, and he said he finally had to get to the point where he had to tell his mom to quit kissing him on the lips as an adult. And, um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a thing that she was trying to be evil or it wasn't a gross thing. It was just she was relating to him as a little boy still. And all our moms do that. Sometimes they pat us on the head. Sometimes my mom's still in church. I'm 42, and I'll go to their church when I go home that I grew up in, and I'll sit next to her, and she'll pinch me on the leg and tell me to be quiet. I'm 42. I say, Mom, I'm a pastor. I know when you can talk in church and when you can't. Um, but she's relating to me as, as a child. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's ignorance. Moms are not doing it because they want to hurt their sons. It's the opposite. They love their sons, and they want to take care of them. The second type, uh, and, and I've seen this um, um, with, with my brother, um, actually, um, recently. My mom has um, come down. She's diagnosed with cancer about a month and a half ago. And um, I have a, a pretty strained relationship with my brother in a lot of ways. And so when he and I are together, there's, there's just this it's tension. It's just not good. And so, um, but he, he has this need because he's, over, he's not married. He's 46, just turned 46. He's very entwi- in, entangled with my parents in, relationally in a pretty dysfunctional way. So he feels like he's got to take care because my mom took care of him, and she still is, that he's got to take care of her through this whole cancer thing. So he comes every time. And um, which was always an interesting uh, dynamic, um, but but he comes in and I so it's become even more apparent as I see them interact through this process of of, of cancer protocol and what and what's going on, and still um, she calls him in the morning to wake him up. Um, he'll say, "Call me at six and wake me up." And Paige and I want to go. How old is he? Does he have an alarm clock? I mean, it just gets all over me, and then I have to deal with my sin. But um, <laughs> but. And he doesn't even know he has it because he's not a Christian. But he need, I try to tell him, and he doesn't know. Um, but, but I've seen that real apparent, and they're still my mom, um, and she does it out of ignorance. She wants to, for whatever reason, whether it's guilt or whatever, try to make that relationship work, and she's taking care of him, and she doesn't see what it's doing to him. So I'll probably tell her this week. Second type, <laughs> I think I'll be passive and just watch. The second type uh, are what's called needy, hurting moms. And these are women who, for one reason or another, um, have lost their relationship with their own husbands. So their son's grafted in as the next best male companion. It's a surrogate husband. My dad's an alcoholic. He drank. He's been sober for 22 years, but all when I was a child he drank. And he was a binge drinker. He didn't drink at home. 
So um, he traveled and sells, and so I'm, I probably saw him drink at our house five times my whole life. But if he was if he if he was in town and he wasn't home by six, he wasn't home for three days, and then he would come home. And so I became, in a lot of ways, this surrogate husband to my mom. My brother had left for college, and I was the one that had to take 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 charge of the house as a middle schooler. And um, but the amazing thing in God's grace, I look at even even studying through this was was I don't think I'm stuck there for some some reason. Um, that wound hadn't occurred in me. I don't relate to her like that. And I, I'm thankful, thankful for that. I've got all kinds of other, you know, I, I don't have just that big bag that's up here. I've got the whole set, you know, that, that all fits into each other and it looks good and it all has rollers because it's all so full. That, that's my life. Um, thirdly, uh, there's an unwilling to release mom. And these are strong-willed, dominant type of moms who want control. They're the ones who, um, when their son's 28, um, they say, you know, you, John, and Mary, you're coming to our house for Christmas after she tells John that he's going to marry Mary um, or who, appro- who is appropriate and she's manipulating the relationship. Or she's the one that comes to your house and lights up her cigarette and says, oh, I know you don't mind if I smoke in your house. Um, some of you are like, oh, I got that one. Um, my dad smokes, but it's outside the back door. So he thinks it's good until you walk out and they all go Vroom! in the house and then we all have cancer. So... Um, but it's the, the mom who needs, needs to control. He finds himself suddenly between a rock and a hard place. Now he's between two women. And trying to love two women is like a ball and chain. Good country song. I don't think that's what he's talking about. But um, we'll just make it apply here. Uh, now he's between two women. He doesn't know what to do. He loses the respect of his wife because the wife wants that allegiance and she wants to be first and is supposed to be first. And he's make, he won't stand up to his mom and say, no, nope, you know what? We're going to stay home for Christmas this year. This is what works for us. This is, this is my allegiance and, and my devotion to come, come to this lady first. So he stays bonded to his mom. Finally, there's a fill-in-the-gap mom. And that's where dad's absent all the time, so mom, of course, fills in the gap. She'll do anything she can to stay involved with the kid's life out of an incredible motivation of love um, to try to cover for the dad who's either left, divorced, died, or whatever. Um, and, the, and, and the best thing in this situation is, and, and this is what we can do as men in these situations with, with, we know families like this, is, is become mentors and reach out to these ladies um, and these sons who need, need that figure in their life. So that's how the wound is inflicted. Now let's see how it manifests itself into adulthood. We're, we're almost finished, so hang on. Basically, it creates in men one of two responses, this overly bonded wound with mom. Um, I have a quote from Princess Tipton. He's an African-American who wrote in the journal called The Crisis in Black Manhood. And it's really insight into all men, every man, every man in, in this room. He says, When mothers lead the family because the fathers fail to lead, either by absenting themselves from the home or taking a passive role, which probably more do, boys are deprived of the most important natural model of manliness. Growing up, uh, growing up mainly under the supervision of women, many experience insecure over their identity as men. Now I'm going uh, to put on the screen. One tendency, he says, is for boys growing up in such circumstances is to rebel against women who are authorities over them and become socially disruptive, irresponsible in family and work commitments, overly assertive about their manly prowess, especially in sexual areas, or leading lives characterized by violence and crime, alec- uh, alcoholism, and other addiction. That's encouraging, isn't it? He says, Circumstances to rebel against women who are authorities over them and become socially disruptive, irresponsible in family and work commitments, 
overly assertive about the manly prowess, especially in sexual areas or leading lives characterized by violence and crime, alcoholism, and other addiction. In other words, growing up in a home of a mom that's over-involved with the dad, one of the tendencies that will be created in the son's psyche is to rebel. Rebel against that suffocating control and become overly dominant in his own right. It's the kind of thing of, I will never be controlled by a woman again, so I will control you. I'll never be controlled again. The second tendency is, uh, and that's a disruptive, the second tendency is for him to identify with adult women who are authorities in their lives. And so they become what's called soft males. Um, and the extent that a, woman, a young male takes either option, uh, they do not learn discipline and responsibility of becoming an authentic man, which is what we're talking about. So on your outline, there are two responses that, that this wound creates later in adult life. And uh, you can see if either of these apply to you. The first one um, is that men become dominant and controlling towards women if they have an overly involved mom at home. They become dominant and controlling towards women in general if they have had an overly involved mom at home. They contend against mom during their years underneath her care, and then once they're out beneath her care, they continually um, rebel and they fight like crazy uh, against that, that domination. Um, they see all women as a threat to independence, and uh, so they, they fight against it, and they seek to marry women they can be safe with, but primarily rule over, and they become tyrants in their home. So they look for, uh, for, for weak women that they control. The other thing is the extreme opposite of that, and it's a second response, and they become passive and submissive towards women. So they can be really strong, but they become passive, become passive and submissive. And I think this response is probably ec epidemic and for men under 30 um, today because of an early relationship with her mom because she overdid it and we, we are overindulging our children like never before and doing thing and things for them and giving them everything like never before in history. We're creating some of this. Um, he let her do it, and because of that, he became over de overly dependent and overly responsive on his mom. Um, so with an adult, his tendency is to, as he gets close to a woman, it's to become passive and lean too much on her. He lets her decide on things. He lets her lead that we talked about, um, uh, talked about earlier, and she takes care of him. So he tends to go and marry a, a stronger woman so she can do that. She can take care of him. She can be his mom. And some people, we, they say, you know, you marry somebody like your mom. Some people marry their mom in that way, and they want somebody to mother them. They want somebody to do their wash, to take care of them, to cook and to clean and, and, and uh, to do those things. So the healthy path with mom should be, have been physical and emotional oneness with mom in early years, then a healthy relationship with um, the, the complete separation in the middle years, and then healthy relational oneness with the woman he marries in the final years, if that's the way the Lord leads. So that's the way it should be. So the question is, we're going to break in just a sec. How do you heal this overly bonded wound with mom? And then how do you cut the invisible umbilical cord? And we're going to talk about that next week, but you're going to have some time in just a second to talk around your tables. I think Greg the first week talked about a quote from Socrates that said that, uh, that talked about the tragedy of an unexamined life. And so we're encouraged to do that. Larry Crabb says the greater tragedy is to, to live an unobserved life. And men, this is what this time is about, is, is about letting someone, you're doing examination, but you're also letting someone else observe your life in some ways. 
And, and we believe that God created us to live in community, and in a community, um, we observe and we live and we do life together. And so around these tables, whether it's four of you today or whether there's six or seven of you, that's what the time is for. Let yourself be examined and then let yourself be observed. And that's what we're talking about today. Matthew 7, um, 14, uh, 13 and 14 is a familiar passage probably to most of you. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, Enter uh, through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And what we're about, and what Eric's uh, desire, and we believe God's desire for the quest for authentic manhood is the narrow way. It's the narrow road. Everybody lives on the broad road. And until you decide to make a choice to, to look at the things we're looking at and go down the narrow path, it, the painful path, the one really that, that, that you can't see around the curves and maybe it just looks, looks, uh, looks like a, a dead end at times until the next turn, that's where you're going to grow and become an authentic man. Um, but few choose it. So I want you to use the time uh, and continue down the narrow road today. And I want you to maybe pray before you start today. And somebody at your table, maybe your table leader, and guys, just ask the Lord. Say, Lord and Holy Spirit, please reveal to us today, where, where am I in this? And personally, I feel pretty good as Jason Swigger with the mother wound. I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. The, the other two weeks, those, I, I skipped one week. But, um, whew, that was a tough one. Um, but the mother wound, I'm okay. But everybody's in different places, and so be sensitive to that. Okay, don't check out if this doesn't relate to you. Um, because it's probably the person next to you. It might be might be the wound that they need the most healing in. Okay, so um, if you'll uh, you'll talk amongst your tables, and if somebody will pray, uh, that'll be great. Thanks.